Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you want only good for us. Yet, like Adam and Eve, we turn from the good you would provide and seek what we want and what we think is better. And our sin leaves us isolated and alone and subject to death. We thank you that you do not leave us in this forsaken state, but that you sent your Son to redeem us and restore us to a right relationship with you, to make us your children by faith through our baptism. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be right and pleasing in your sight, for you are surely our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In a letter written in 1789, in which he addressed the newly ratified Constitution of the United States, having what appeared to be the promise of permanency, Benjamin Franklin made this qualifying statement. But in this world, nothing is said to be certain except death and taxes. Most of us probably agree with that statement and have very likely quoted it at some point. But there was a time, a brief, shining moment when that statement was not correct on either count. When God created the world and everything in it and declared it to be good, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to take care of his creation, death and taxes were not part of their world. Now this may be tax season for all of us, but it is death that is very much on our minds in this season of Lent. That was brought very keenly to the forefront this past Wednesday when a number of us walked around for a time with a cross of ashes on our forehead. And the sound of remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return ringing in our ears. Now we don't tend to think about the fact that death had a beginning. But death was not part of God's original design for creation. And it is amazing to think about the great love of God that he knew before creation. That sin and death were going to enter into what he had made and declared to be good. Death came as a consequence of man's choosing something other than God's will and purpose. And the Old Testament text for this morning points out quite clearly that Adam and Eve regrettably succeeded in doing exactly that in spectacular fashion. God had invited Adam to eat freely from every tree in the garden, with the exception of one specific tree of which God commanded him not to eat. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, 
you will surely die. That's pretty straightforward. God said, don't do it. The devil in the form of the serpent was very cagey and cunning that day. By beginning with the question, did God really say? He challenged the Word of God and implied that God might have been a little bit radical and unfair with this command. Now, to Eve's credit, she did correctly state that God said that they could eat of the trees in the garden except for one. But then she added to God's word, saying that God also said they should not even touch it lest they die. By Eve adding to the word of God, it seems that she was buying in to the devil's insinuation that God was indeed being overbearing and unfair. She was now ripe for the devil's suggestion that God's command was not for her good, but was to keep her away from something good. She saw a distinct advantage in disregarding God's word and doing what she wanted. And she bit. Eve took a bite figuratively out of the devil's cunning argument and then took a bite literally from the forbidden fruit. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. We tend to hear this story and think that the real problem was that they broke God's rule, God's law. And yes, they did break the rule. But Eve's real sin was in breaking faith with God by disbelieving his word. Adam knew what God said, but by listening to Eve, he too ignored God's word. They rejected God's truth for the devil's lie. And in deciding that they knew something better than what God knew, they rejected his word, and they rejected him. Jesus said in our gospel text, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this indicates that the very definition of a right relationship between creator and the creature is one in which the creature takes God at his word. And the very nature of Adam and Eve's sin changed that relationship. From the moment that doubt first entered into Eve's mind, there was now a new authority as to what was good and right. Herself. 
She believed Satan's lie that when she ate of that fruit, she would be like God. That she would be like a God unto herself. Adam had the opportunity to declare her to be wrong. And he could do it in the very same way that we do. By turning to the word of God. But Adam listened to Eve's words. And he considered what he saw and what he felt. And he took the bite that doomed us all. The result of his eating was death, just as God said it would be. Adam died spiritually right then. And he inherited physical death and damnation to hell for eternity. And his sin guaranteed this same curse upon all men. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam and Eve were perfect people, living in a perfect place. Everything around them was good, just as God had designed it to be. There was nothing more they could have. There was nothing more they could be. But they wanted more. And so they ate. And they immediately found out that what they got wasn't more, but much, much less. Satan gave them nothing. God had given them everything. And the corruption of sin robbed them of a world filled with everything good. As they were banished from the garden and from there on out had to live by their own toil and sweat and pain. But worst of all, sin robbed them of righteousness. It robbed them of relationship, of fellowship with God. And this is what humanity has been dealing with ever since. The devil's work is to cause people to doubt and to disbelieve God's powerful, all-creating, life-giving word. He consistently attacks God's truthfulness and questions God's intentions toward us. The serpent was craftier than Adam and Eve and he deceived them so easily. And now he exercises that same control over us as their children. Do we take God at his word? Or do we sometimes look for another or authority that will tell us what our itching ears are wanting to hear? In our sinful nature, we are just like Adam and Eve. Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul wrote, the sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. This is why immorality persists 
and increases in this world. It all goes back to the lie the devil whispers and the sinful nature believes. That God isn't out for our best interest and that we deserve more than God gives or allows. That is the stubborn, selfish, sinful nature that lies at the root of all sin. We continue to do things that place us under the very same curse as Adam and Eve. And we receive that same ultimate less. Loss of righteousness and relationship. Living in a world of constant chaos and decay. Suffering death and facing an eternity in hell without God at all. Those are the consequences of our sin. But that is never where God intended for us to be. And it is not where God intended to leave us. Consider his faithfulness and mercy in our text. Adam and Eve had rejected God's word and had chosen to go their own way. And when they were called to account on that sin, they blamed everyone but themselves. But before God got around to declaring the consequences of their sin, He declared salvation. He gave them hope. To the devil, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This declaration by God is wonderfully gracious. When Adam and Eve had fallen so completely and Satan had mortally wounded them both spiritually and physically, God declared that he would step in and pick up the fight. Rather than leaving Adam and Eve to languish in hopelessness, God immediately declared the promise of a Savior. And God chose to do that through the very woman who had rejected him in the first place, through the offspring of Eve's womb. One born of a woman would become the devil's greatest enemy. They would do battle, and he would crush Satan's head. This is the first time the promise of the gospel is given. With the conflict begun, Satan would make every attempt to disrupt and to derail God's plan of salvation. And it was after Jesus' baptism, when the Spirit led him into the wilderness, that Satan brought out his most trusted and effective weapon. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the voice of the devil called out, If you are the Son of God, then temptation of Adam and Eve 
was to reject their calling as God's creation and to seek to be gods unto themselves. The objective of the temptation of Christ was for him to reject his calling as the Son of God to follow the will of his Father and to take matters into his own hands. Rather than eating this forbidden fruit of earthly glory and power, this new Adam said no to the devil's temptations and was content to live by the word of his Father. Jesus facing every temptation known to man, remained perfect so that he might be the perfect sacrifice for sin. The Son of God was scourged, beaten, scorned, and shamefully stripped and hung on a cross to die. This is where Satan bruised the heel of the promised Savior. Jesus went to the cross to take the place of Adam and Eve and all of their offspring. He would be condemned for their sin and would pay the penalty of death in their place. This is called propitiation. God our Father accepted the sacrifice of His Son so that they and we would no longer be cursed. And in his glorious resurrection, Jesus crushed Satan's head. The end of death is in Christ Jesus. And in his victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell. On this first Sunday of Lent, the Genesis text takes us back into the story of man's fall into sin. And we still live under that tree of the knowledge of good and evil by which Satan conquered us. And in his wisdom and in his mercy, God allows consequences for sin in the world. Pain, toil, hardships, death, he allows these things to move us toward repentance. To move us toward confessing that we are poor, miserable sinners in need of a Savior. To move us towards trusting in Him and His Word. And to turn toward that great love that He has shown us and the much more that He has given us in Christ Jesus. This first Sunday of Lent also reminds us that we do not live as those who are without hope. Sundays are not counted in the 40 days of Lent. So on the Sundays during the Lenten season, we take a break. And we focus on the fact of Christ's victory. God reminds us that we live under a second tree, the tree of the cross, by which Jesus conquered Satan for us. And upon this tree, Jesus 
the second and better Adam, restored all that Satan had brought to ruin. Jesus says to us now, you are dead, but here is life. Listen to me. Take me at my word. Trust in me. And live. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.